Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. And before we jump into the really cool stuff that we're going to bring you today, we have a super important message for you. Did you hear that Brilliantly Resilient, the book is out in the world and it landed on the top 100 bestsellers list. That's where it debuted. We're so excited. Go get it at amazon.com. Search Brilliantly Resilient and you'll see it in Kindle and paperback. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I am so excited today because we get to talk to our new friend, Leslie Kim. You're out on the the West Coast, right, Leslie? I am. I'm here in Los Angeles pretty early in the morning. (laughs) Whole bunch of changes here. We're changing it up. We're going to the West Coast. Um, And Leslie is, as we had this discussion prior to airing, a little bit younger than us. So we're (laughs) interested in her perspective on the reset, rise and reveal of your brilliance. So Leslie, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This is super fun. Yeah, we we try. We try to make it fun. So when we talk about this whole idea of a reset and all of this, the reset rise and the reveal of your brilliance, all of this is geared towards getting to that place where you find your purpose and you're just living there and that's your sweet spot. But it takes a while to get there. And many people have what we call a sucker punch or a train wreck. That's a reset that, that you just go, okay, I'm at my most basic now now what? So did you have an experience like that? Or was it more a feeling of something ain't right here? Mm. I think it was uh, both of those things. I think for a really long time, I felt like something just wasn't right. Like I was somehow, um, I just wasn't really feeling fulfilled. And I didn't know what that felt like. But I kept looking for it, you know, because, um, you know, when I was young, I, I kind of always wanted to be an artist, but at the prompting of my parents, I ended up being a biology major and I dropped out of school. (laughs) I I did all of these things. And, um, you know, I ended up becoming a graphic design major uh, kind of at the end of all the things, but I always had this feeling like, you know, like there's something, there's something that I need to be doing that is going to make me feel um, fulfilled and happy in the world. And I just didn't have it, but I didn't know what it was. But I think um, the the train wreck moment, (laughs) it's funny because I never thought about it that way, but um, I actually did think about it in my head as like a gigantic car crash. There you Um, go. It's whatever, whatever that pal moment is, and there's something. (laughs) Yeah. And there was a moment when um, it was actually when I had just gotten out of a really bad relationship that was five years long. It was um, at times abusive. It was really toxic, just um, not good. Hmm. And at the end of that, I realized, well, my social network has been pretty much decimated. Um, And any friends that I still had from before the relationship were just people that I couldn't really relate to. And, um, you know, they didn't really understand how to like help me grow. And a lot of times kind of just made me feel worse. Hmm. Um, 
And after this, after this relationship was over, I found myself actually being incredibly happy. Like I, I felt like I had, um, I felt like I had like escaped from jail or something because it just, yeah. But I also, um, I couldn't really control myself and I was like so happy. I think I I became almost like manic Hmm. and, um, I just couldn't control my behavior. I was like talking totally out of line. I was like doing things that I would probably never do. Um, And this went on for about like six months to a year. Um, I was having panic attacks like constantly every day and I didn't know what panic attacks were like. So I thought I was just completely losing my mind. Like I had I had just lost it. There was no hope for me. And I was never going to regain like my sanity or um, any kind of stability in my life. And um, I think what happened at that time was I really struggled a lot with feelings of like shame and guilt because I wondered like, how did I let myself get here? Like, how did I let it get so bad that, you know, I had been in this awful relationship and thought that that was okay for five years. And, you know, basically when I got out of it, I went on this, um, I guess like a really long journey of just uh, trying to uncover all the things that went wrong and that, you know, and I think I'm still on that journey and uh, as we all are, it's like yeah. something yeah. happens and then you, you find out more and more about yourself and then, um, you know, that kind of informs your future, which, you know, I think is important. So as bad as that train wreck moment was, like, I, I don't think I'm ungrateful for it uh, yeah. to any degree. You know, you're singing my song here, Leslie, because as you're talking, <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing all the same things that I went through when my, my almost 20 year marriage ended. And I did the same thing. I was in guilt, anger, mad at myself. How did I let it get to that point? Why wouldn't I, you know, I'm smart. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm running this nonprofit. I, I'm whatever. I have all these gifts and talents and I let it get way. I, it went on way too long and you beat yourself up. Then all my hair fell out. And then it was like <laughs> a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. But you know, it's interesting. I didn't talk about, you said the word shame and I wouldn't talk about that for a very long time until I started talking to, um, incidentally, I was at conferences and meeting up with, with people that are other CEOs and their organizations. And we got into these conversations about very intelligent women being in these toxic relationships. And we all used the same word that you just used, the shame, how did I let this happen? You know, and unpack, I have, look, I am still unpacking this sister for like four years now, all the different things of how that happened. But our friend Chip Baker had said to us when we first started the show last year, he said a phrase to me, grow through your go through. So for the past year, I really looked at growing, like, how am I going to grow as a person when I feel like I'm going to beat myself up for, you know, I stayed in there so long, wait a minute, let's swap this and let me think about how I can grow. And it sounds like you've done the same thing. Yeah. And I find, you know, just like you have so many commonalities between people who have been through um, similar experiences or just like any kind of experience that sort of turns your life upside down and puts you in a state of uh, chaos, I guess. Um, And I, I think, yeah, like I, I find over time, like no matter how many people I talk to, that the human experience is really varied. But at the same time, um, you know, like the way that we recover and the way that we get through things, um, 
there's just so much in common there with with anyone yeah i think yeah. we found that too and that's that part of that reset rise and the the reveal of your your brilliance but i'm wondering it sounds like you've gotten there because i think one of the important steps in this process is at some point realizing that you're human as you said it's a human experience that we don't, it doesn't come with a playbook. You know, we, we go into these situations and you want to think the best of people and experiences and all that. And then suddenly you find yourself mired in something. But did you get to a point where you recognize that you almost had to forgive yourself and go, you know what? I did the best I could at the time. And then as Kristen said, now what can I learn from it and move forward? Did you have a moment like that? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think it took a really long time. Um, and let's see, so that that moment happened to me, um, it's been almost 10 years, maybe nine years ago. Mm. So um, yeah, I think, I think, hmm. <laughs> I'm going like way, way back in like mm. the memory halls. Um, yeah. yeah, there definitely came a point where I realized that the way I saw it was that I had betrayed like my inner self, like my truest self. And I, uh, because I'm an artist, like sometimes I think pictorically, but I remember seeing sort of like a childhood version of myself looking at me one day and just being so sad and saying like, um, look at how much you've neglected me. Like you've gone so far away from me and, um, you know, I, I'm not happy. And so I began to wonder, well, what can I do to make her happy? And a lot of that was just, you know, forgiving myself for how far off the path I had come. And, you know, all the times, like I didn't trust my gut. And I think that was huge. Mm -hmm. um, I had always grown up just um, kind of being told like, you know, you're a kid, like you don't know any better. And um, I always kind of trusted that my parents or my teachers, like mostly because they're older, like they should know more than I do. And, you know, when I hit that train wreck moment at the same time, I also hit this moment where I realized, you know, people are all human and they're all flawed. And just because someone might be like in a higher position than you or older than you doesn't necessarily mean that they know better for you, like what's good for you. And I, I began to, to need to trust myself because like the more I trusted other people over my, my own judgment, um, the more off kilter my life would become. Yeah. So it sounds to me like one of the big components that we talk about in this reset piece is getting really in tune with your own value system. And it sounds like that's what you ended up doing. And everybody calls it something you know different or, or doesn't name it at all. But it sounds like that's where you found yourself at some point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally right. Um, and, you know, from that point on, it was, it was actually really fun to try to uncover what my values were, because it was something that I had never really placed uh, so much value on before. <laughs> but um, the more I started to do it, you know, it became almost like a science experiment. It was like, hey, like, I believe this to be true. Like, can we test this somehow? And, um, you know, everything just became like a fun little game where I could test, you know, is this really true? Like, am I seeing that commonality or, you know, am I wrong? And I became open to being wrong as well, which I think was really quite liberating in its own way. Wow. 
Wow. You know, you're right. I did this this past summer. I did the exact same thing that you're talking about. I thought, let's like gamify this a little bit and see if the theory <laughs> holds true. Cause I was, I, I am always looking for a reason to prove Mary Fran wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's I'm still like, looking. Okay. She's still looking. <laughs> you were so on this values piece that I was like, okay, that's her shtick values and mine is perception and say whatever you want. I don't really know how that works. And I was listening to her, listening to her. And then I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to, I'm going to prove you wrong here. I'm going to put this to the test. And lo and behold, I'm like, every week I'm like, oh, you're right. <laughs> and then I remember like, it was like the late fall. I said, you know, my life got a whole lot easier. Once I just, when I have to make a decision now, I look at what my values are and I go, Hmm, it doesn't align with that. I'm out. It's so much simpler. Yeah. You know how that felt that I had to admit to her? I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm like why didn't I just succumb to this a while ago? <laughs> but you know what? It, it, taught, it, it really allows you to be who you are. And it's not necessarily a judgment against anyone else's value system. It's just that you have to live with what works for you. Or as you said, Leslie, your gut is off. And boy, isn't that an indicator? Did you find yourself then relying more on, huh, this doesn't feel right. Like we think that we have to decide these things with our brain, but mm -hmm. so often, boy, if we just pay attention to our gut, we know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and you know, I don't know why, like I think about this uh, in terms of client work, like I'm also a designer, but there have been some times and especially in the beginning, I would just take on any job because, you know, I, I would think, oh, I, I need the money. Like they want me to work on something. I'll just do it and I'll just get through it. And I would find myself like at some point in the project being so stressed out, like feeling like, oh, I just, I can't do this. This isn't for me. Um, you know, the, the relationship is, is awful. And, um, you know, I started to identify those feelings like earlier and earlier. And now when I get like an inquiry for a job that isn't quite for me, I kind of know straight away. It's like, mm, maybe not. Whereas, <laughs> you know, <laughs> earlier in my career, I probably would have just taken it because I would have, you know, felt like, oh, like somebody wants to work with me. Like, that's great. Um, so, yeah, I think just trusting your gut in all things. And that happened with with dating, with work, with like, I don't know, just being friends with people. <laughs> um yeah, it, it happened in everything. And it was so refreshing to, to just kind of say no to things early on and, you know, and be upfront about it too. It's like, Hey, um, you know, I, I, I just don't feel up for that and, uh, just let it be. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, um, I feel like when you apply that, as you said, to every area of your life, if you just internalize it, as Kristen has finally learned to do, but you just internalize that piece. It just makes your life so much easier because right away, you know, and right mm -hmm. away you can go, yeah, you know what? That's not going to work. And it takes the angst out of saying no, because you know why you're saying no, you know, you're, it's not going to be to anybody's benefit. If you go along a path, that's not right for you. And then the, at the end of the day, everybody's the better for it. Sometimes saying no is the best thing you can do for all parties concerned. Absolutely. And I think there will be some very rare instances where someone is upset that you said no or something 
but I think in those cases, then you understand like, oh, you know, maybe they're going through something or like, it, yeah, and then you know why you said clear. no in the first place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this wasn't going to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> my mother used to say, my mother always says, oh, if they're mad, they'll get glad again. That's not your problem. You know, <laughs> so you really have to recognize that. So so you talk so much about about this whole the thing that I love about your your story is many people have bad relationships like Kristen and I she has blindness with her sons I had heroin addiction with my son you know those are those big huge moments but your story is is somewhat more normal in that you experienced a relationship that was not a good one for you. And a lot of people have that experience. So, you know, we often say it doesn't have to be this huge, like mind blowing event that comes out of nowhere. Sometimes it's just the way you've been living your life is wrong. Mm -hmm. But when you took the time to make that one decision, you allowed yourself to do a shift or a pivot and and find another path and that's a lesson that i think everybody can learn right yeah definitely i think um well i think in my case so the person i i had been with for five years was like a sort of drug dealer <laughs> and... oh, well that's a bad one yeah that's bad that's not just a guy who's not great for you that's bad <laughs> yeah and, you know, he was a person who had suffered really deep trauma, like when he was young and, you know, kind of started smoking cigarettes when he was nine years old, started smoking pot when he was 12 and just kind of never got out of the, I don't know, like juvenile delinquent scene. Um, but, you know, there was something interesting I heard. I can't remember where I heard it, but that people who suffer PTSD are a lot of times a, a little bit naive, like they just haven't they couldn't fathom that someone could be that malicious. And I think that was me. And I think that is a relative thing that anybody can experience because, you know, you can encounter someone, whether it's in a relationship or even just on the street who does something that is so beyond your uh, capacity for understanding that, you know, in, in a way it can kind of break you. And um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's a way of being forced out of your comfort zone. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I would say so. Now, yeah. let me ask you this. Was there a point, and because I've seen this so many times, especially with women, was there a point when you were involved with this guy that you were going to save him? You were going to make him better in your mind? Or was that not it? Because sometimes I think people, when we recognize someone else's pain, we want to fix that. We want to help them. We want to, you know, make it better. And then maybe they'll change. But, but that never works. <laughs> that is what I learned as well. It just, it doesn't work. And, you know, when, when you really try to understand someone and have empathy for someone, you see like, oh, um, you know, you've been hurt in this or that way. And that that's, you know, perhaps why you exhibit a certain kind of behavior. And, you know, the more you, the more you understand, the more you sort of accept and forgive them for it, but that doesn't make it okay for you to, to live with, you know, what they may throw at you. Like they still have to, um, you know, if, if it's going to work out, they still have to, you know, be a cooperative partner. Yeah. They have to own it. They have to be responsible. You set the boundary. They have to abide by them. So I'm interested to know now to switch gears for, for a second here, because this is, this is a topic that so many people 
I'm sure so many of our listeners are sitting there nodding their heads. They're either in the relationship they shouldn't be in, or they just got out and they're in that, uh, Mary Fran and I call it the meh moment of, I know I got to move on and do something else. I should do something with, even if it wasn't a relationship, whatever their train wreck was or their, their point, now they want to do something different and go in a different direction. They're trying to figure out how to do that or what that is. Let's talk a little bit about what it is that you're doing now and how, and how that came to be, especially I'm really interested in this, in this starfish. What's it called again? Starfish. Dynamite uh, starfish. Dynamite. I love the name, but it made absolutely no sense to me until I <laughs> and it's fascinating. Yeah. Let's hear about that a little bit. Sure. So uh, for anyone who's not familiar with the term dynamite starfish, which is pretty much guaranteed to be 100% of people, it's a, <laughs> it's a uh, rock climbing maneuver where you have all of your limbs outstretched like a starfish and you're just trying desperately to get some upward momentum. So one of the things that I started doing after this kind of train wreck moment, I, you know, I had always been the happiest when I had some kind of physical activity in my life. I've been a martial artist like my whole life. And that was my just absolute passion and obsession um, in my teens. And I realized like, you know, I need to do something physical with myself again. So I remembered that I had been to a rock climbing gym, um, you know, many years ago and really liked it. There was one that I could get to in my area. So I started going, I signed up and I was, I was there like three to five days a week, um, just, you know, just throwing myself at the wall, like trying really hard to, to just do this, like kind of I mean, some might even call it like a ridiculous activity, like you're going up a wall and you're coming back down. And then um, it's hard. It was. Yeah, it, it is hard. Um, yeah, but but I loved it so much. And I found the community around it to just be really welcoming. And, you know, it was also at a time when, you know, like I said, my social network had been decimated. So I found people to go climbing with, not just at the gym, but there were people who invited me to climb outdoors with them. We'd go on little like weekend trips and we'd hike around and go climb outside. And everyone was super fun and supportive. And I just enjoyed it so much. Um, and, you know, I had been making art at that time for uh, like group art shows locally. And all of my art was about things that I had learned from um, just life experiences. Hmm. So naturally, I started making art about rock climbing. And a couple of my friends said, hey, you know, your style would look really good on t-shirts. Like, why don't you start making t-shirts? And I thought like, oh my God, no, like, do you know how many sizes and colors and like, <laughs> what a headache? Like, I never want to do that. Um, but it is sometimes like a ridiculous seed gets planted in your head. And then, you know, maybe a year later, you're like, oh, I should definitely do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's really, um, that's really how it started. And at first I was so, um, I just lacked confidence with it. And, you know, people would say, hey, I want to buy a t-shirt from you. And I'd be like, oh, like, can I give it to you for free? Like, I feel so <laughs> bad selling it to you. It's just my like little drawings. Like, oh my God, I could never like take money for this. And, you know, that's kind of how it went for years. And finally I realized like, you know, there are kind of a lot of people who want this and I'm doing all this work, like essentially for free. Like, I guess I should start charging money. Um, and, and that's when I decided like, you know, maybe I want to call myself an official you know, business owner. <laughs> 
And um, it's been great, actually. It's been such a fun journey. And I get to encourage like lots of people, like new climbers. Um, you know, there's like women who climb, uh, who just, you know, want support. A lot of people get into climbing for the same reasons that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like they've experienced something, um, you know, life altering and they go to climbing to find something physical to do to like improve themselves and their life and you know find community so I really just use my platform to kind of encourage people who are in the same position to just you know like continue to find yourself and like think your own thoughts and you know there are things that at this point seem really basic and easy to me but I also feel like you know if someone had encouraged me to do those things when I was going Going through a rough time you know I think I would have appreciated that so yeah. that's kind of my little way of giving back you know you talked earlier about seeing yourself as the as the child and I think when we have these reset moments these sucker punches these things it does take us back to our our most basic self because everything else gets stripped away those those moments take so much away from you I know when when you know my son was struggling with heroin addiction like that when he overdosed that day it, it just, it took everything away, everything about who mm. I thought I was and where I was and all of that. But the beauty of those moments is that, again, it does give you that opportunity to go back and to find those basic, basic parts of yourself. And sometimes doing something completely different, like, like, like rock climbing, you know, something that takes you out of that thought place where you're constantly trying to figure things out and you just experience and you experience something that feels good that takes you back to that place where your brilliance lies and that's what Kristen and I have found and you clearly did too but the only thing I'm gonna say and thank god you got past it what is it with women not charging for stuff that means a lot to us why do we do that What is that? We'll do a whole summit on that. Like, oh my goodness. I know we, we've, we've done the same thing, like with sp- our speaking careers and all, oh, really? Or I'm like, okay, so I'll teach you how to raise a blind child. But that's like, really? Am I going to charge you a lot of money for that? Because that's just a nice thing to do. And then I'm like, well, we're kind of hungry. Like, yeah, you can't eat nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm actually so glad you bring that up because that's been something that I've been like facing, you know, as of recent, because it seems like there's a whole crowd of people who love you for doing it when you're doing it for free and they they cheer you on and they're like, oh, we love what you're doing. You're so great, blah, blah, blah. Um, And then, you know, and then you realize like, you know, I I don't have any money and I'm (laughs) spending 40 hours a week doing this project that it just doesn't, it doesn't feed me. And I have no hope for my future. um, If I continue going on this way. And so, you know, it was actually, oh gosh, maybe it was last year or like the year before that I thought, you know, what happens if I put some effort into my business? Like what happens if I actually start charging people money? I start trying to do a little bit of marketing and I'm still doing it all myself, but you know, one kind of bizarre phenomenon that I found is you know, people who look at my business now and see like, oh, it looks a bit like a real business. And they they try to even like shame me sometimes even and say like, oh, like, how could you be making money off of this and that? And I sort of think like, well, you know, if it's just so impractical to to be putting in all this energy and like 
not being able to live. <laughs> yeah, well, that's so, it. so your answer is because I got to eat something. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that's your answer. I got to eat. <laughs> that's why. But My you brilliance is not your freebie. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Right. That's perfect. That's perfect. But you also, and this is, I think, a way that a lot of young people. Um, and, and a lot of people, I shouldn't just say young people, but I know that, that these altruistic tendencies really have a place in the younger generation that, that some of your profits go to causes that mean a lot to you. So to me, that's a wonderful way to join those two things. You have to eat, you have to provide for yourself. There's nothing wrong with making money. And when you support other causes, if you feel the need to justify it, which you shouldn't, but if you do, that's a really beautiful way to do that. And you, you put that into practice, don't you? Yeah. So, you know, at first <laughs> I thought like, you know, maybe I should donate a hundred percent of my profits oh, and like gosh. only cover my costs. <laughs> but then I kind of thought, you know, if I make that statement now, like it's probably going to come to bite me years down the line. Like I'm not going to enjoy that life. And so you know, I think that's great for people who have all their means covered and like they don't need it. Like they don't need to make a living because maybe they make a living some other way or, you know, they've been blessed with, I don't know, financial freedom in some way. But, you know, for, for regular people like us, like we, we can't really do that. So, you know, I the reason why I wanted to donate to conservation organizations is because um, there are a lot of rock climbers in the world and we go outside and not all of us are the best at cleaning up after ourselves and keeping the areas clean. Mm -hmm. Although that is something that, you know, we should all be aware of, like, you don't want to go to the hiking trail and be like leaving trash and, mm -hmm. um, you know, like walking off trail and creating damage to the areas that you love. So the, the reason really for, for donating to the conservation organizations was that, look, like if, if by making my t-shirts, I get even a few people more excited about going and climbing outside, that means just a tiny bit more trail wear, like a tiny bit more um, stress on the environment. And if there are organizations out there like doing cleanups and um, trail maintenance and just kind of keeping the area clean and accessible for people like I, I would like to do that yeah. and I think other climbers um, you know there are a lot of climbers who take it upon themselves to carry trash bags with them and clean up trash and are very dedicated to keeping areas clean which I love um, so yeah just kind of donating even a percentage of my profits to people doing that I thought was like the best way to to use my money <laughs> It's awesome. And it's, it's just a win-win. It's a nice little circle of, of climbing life there that it's, that's helping the environment that you're out there in. I wanted to share with you though, before we go, I don't know if you know of um, Eric Weidemeyer, blind mountain climber that has done all seven summits and all kinds of crazy stuff. If you ask me, which we're good friends. So I tell him that I also tell him if he ever sees my blind sons on his email list to delete them because I don't need them to know <laughs> <laughs> that he's kayaking the Colorado River again and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But actually the first, the first story of truly succeeding without sight that I had ever heard of when, when my first son was diagnosed as blind 20 years ago. And my oldest son got to meet Eric after he had just come off Everest. That was the first mountain that he did. And um, he met him at six years old. And they're sitting there talking about all this mountain climbing stuff and everything. And I thought, 
Now, my son's life, the trajectory of his life changed after that moment. <laughs> I thought he looked at the world as this guy just did what no one ever really does, climb Everest, and he's blind. So any sighted person that we, Michael, ever has met has never climbed Everest, nor could they ever do it, right? So he's thinking, well, blind people can do anything or even more than sighted people can. And then Michael got into... Um, uh, climbing, rock climbing for a while. And I, that's what I was saying. It's hard because I had to go up on the harnesses <laughs> to know what I was yelling about, you know, from the bottom. It is a hard sport, but it is also, um, it's very rewarding. And like Mary Fran was saying, the fact that you get to just figure out, like I took, a, I didn't go rock climbing. I took up hot yoga when I was trying to get myself together, right? <laughs> I had to spend one hour not dying. That was my goal. <laughs> not die in the hundred degree room or look like an idiot, right? <laughs> so I couldn't think about anything other than that. And I got to be out of my head and my problem for a solid hour. So I can imagine it's the same thing. You're just looking for the holds and all of that. And you can't obsess and overthink about your situation or anything. So I think that that, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that, first of all, for you to look up Eric Weimer and also that that lands well with people that are listening that you go find something, if it's rock climbing, if it's hot yoga, if it's for Mary Fran, it's singing, she'll be singing all over the place, that you can just think about that and give your brain a break for a little bit. And then I guarantee you come back and you probably feel the same way. You come down off that, the mountain or whatever, and you have a whole new perspective because you have some brain cells freed up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like, I have wondered for a while, like, why so many people who are going through these, like, life troubles find, you know, something like rock climbing. And I know that I'm, I'm so niche down into my sport that, uh, that that's what I see. But I can imagine that people also get into, you know, all kinds of things at that point. But um, I, I really thought that, and I've heard this from a lot of people, it's completely it encompasses all your senses. So, you know, you're, you're scared. And even though, you know, your environment isn't really scary, like you're not actually going to die, but you feel like you're going to die sometimes. <laughs> and it's just, it's that feeling of like having to use all of your senses to try to do this thing and survive that I think it really just kind of snaps you out of whatever mode of thinking you were in before. And, and you kind of come off the wall, like a whole new person. You're like, oh, wow. Like my brain just went completely to another place and now I'm I'm back here again and I can see things differently and um you know maybe with fresher eyes it's amazing yeah I like that you said you come off the wall a whole new person yeah that's great <laughs> you come yeah. off the wall I'm writing this down you come off the wall a whole new person. <laughs> you know though I think it it allows you to um to recognize the power in just being in that moment and I think, I mean, I know for me, and I know for Kristen too, when you come out of those situations, you, you also come away with a fresher perspective about what's important and what isn't. You realize that there's a lot you can leave, that mm -hmm. you can walk away from. This, I don't need to think about this anymore. Because when you're in that moment where like you're thinking about your survival, you realize that nothing else matters. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And when you get out of that, if you can carry a piece of that into returning to, you know, your quote, whatever your normal is, you can, you, you really can get rid of jettison some of the junk. Oh yeah. And I think, you know, just pairing that activity too, with a lot of times we'd go like camping and climbing for many days and, you know, weeks even. 
And, you know, when I come back home, I'd look at all the stuff in my apartment and just be like, what is all this stuff? I don't, I don't need any of this stuff. I just had the best two weeks of my life living out of a backpack and a tent. And, um, you know, like, what is, what is this furniture? What are all these things? <laughs> That's the what are these things I have to dust around? What is all this? <laughs> <laughs> right. So it, it became an exercise, not in just like simplifying your thoughts, but also simplifying like your life in many ways. Oh, that's awesome. I that. Although I will say when I come back from camping, I do hug my hot shower. I hug all, <laughs> all the pipes. I'm hugging them. <laughs> that is the one thing. Leslie, this has been a wonderful, uplifting, very affirming conversation. And I'm so glad we had a chance to chat. Now, where can people find you and Dynamite Starfish so they can see some of your cool graphics and order some of those cool t-shirts. My favorite one of which is Climb and Pet All the Dogs. How do you not know that? <laughs> climb and Pet All the Dogs. Yes, there are so many cute dogs like at the climbing gym and at the climbing areas. And I always make it my mission to like say hello to everyone. Oh my God. But you can find my rock climbing stuff at dynamitestarfish.com. I also do, I guess, quite a bit of Instagramming at um, dynamitestarfish on Instagram. I also have a personal art Instagram. Well, it's mostly just a personal Instagram, but it's at Leslie Samkin. Um, they're mostly just, you know, regular life photos, like not particularly interesting, but occasionally I'll post like a new drawing or something I have up on there. Yeah. Well, we want everybody to check you out and uh, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Like I said, it was um, it, it was an interesting perspective from a younger person, but very affirming in that all the things we talk about, you felt them and talked about them too. So it, it's, uh, it's a nice way to recognize that the whole brilliantly resilient idea um, is really something that's grounded inside of every one of us. So mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.